The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. We will transform the entire port landscape. Our intention is to make the right set of investment that will not just make the Adani Gadot partnership proud, but will make the whole of Israel proud. That was Indian magnate Gautam Adani this week, sounding relaxed and optimistic about taking over a port in Israel. There was not a hint of the crisis that is engulfing his infrastructure empire. The fascinating saga that is playing out in India is the focus of this week's Viewsroom. Welcome back to the Viewsroom, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. As of Thursday morning, $100 billion had been wiped off Gautam Adani's sprawling empire, thanks to a short-selling attack. Adani has pulled the plug on a share sale following the collapse of his company's share price. And here to talk to me about it is Una Galani, our Asia editor, and Shritami Bose, who is having her Views Room debut from India. So you're very welcome, Shritama, and you're very welcome, Una. Nice to be here. So Una, I'm going to start with you. I think all eyes are on India at the moment. This is all over the papers um, in the UK and America. So I guess I'm just wondering, Una, can you talk us through who is Adani? What does his business do? And why is this so significant to India? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right, Amy. Everyone is all over the story. So I'm in Hong Kong this week. I thought I'd come and like check out the financial hub of Asia while, you know, while it while it's reopening and everyone here. It's like the first thing on everyone's agenda. So, but, you know, a lot of people don't really know much about Adani. They just think, uh, you know, they know India is a place that's full of conglomerates, um, but they don't really know the specifics of Adani. So so what is what is Adani? Adani is effectively a collection of seven core listed companies spanning the full spectrum of infrastructure from like ports to airports to coal to renewable energy. Like effectively, he is India's infrastructure king and he owns all these listed companies really tightly. So he the, the family basically owns stakes of up to 75% in all of these companies. And before the Hindenburg attack last Wednesday, the end that the market cap of this group was about $230 billion. He was briefly the world's third richest man. And he was building and buying all this critical energy infrastructure and these assets at sort of like lightning speed. And it was, as you said, like there was a lot of debt, there was a lot of debt-fueled acquisitions. And, and he really stood out in the Indian context because India is a economy that has actually just been through a really bad debt crisis, like a, a and they were coming out of that. And so very few tycoons have had the appetite to build and grow as he has. So he's had this enormous animal spirit while India has sort of corporate India has sort of been tamed and holding back. And, and as a result, you know, he's, his, his companies have had this most enormous rally in their valuations. I mean, before Hindenburg, three of the seven most highly valued companies in the world by price to earnings ratio, like companies of a market cap of above $30 billion, were his companies. You know, and as you said, like in the space of a week, he's lost $100 billion of that paper money. And it is a daily bloodbath in the stocks. And what was really, really, really amazing about this short attack was the timing. It was 
Nate Anderson, the Hindenburg like sort of uh, founder, you know, he kind of timed this to perfection. So he went public with his attack in the middle of a 2.4 billion, $5 billion share sale, right? So it was India's largest follow on issue, which isn't backed by the like top shareholders, by the family. So it was all like the whole point of that deal was to diversify his shareholder base. So he had he'd come in right after the anchor book had been closed and fully subscribed and right before the rest of the book was about to open. And so he sort of immediately, the Hindenburg attack immediately teed up this incredible market test of this man. And you know, the thing about Adani, you need to really understand as well, like the political context is like, we have been writing about this group for a few years, like maybe since 2019. And, and at that time, one of the first pieces we wrote was when Prime Minister Narendra Modi was re-elected in 2019 to a second term. And, and at that time, it was the shares of his companies, as well as other tycoons, that all rallied. And, and regardless of the reality of what you think about how much any one tycoon or another has uh, political power and endorsement in, in India and political favour, the what that demonstrated to us was that the power of tycoons in tycoons in India and Asia is often judged by their proximity to political power. And I say all of that to sort of really drive home the significance of this. So as I said, India's infrastructure king, very like uh, seen as sort of his rise is seen as uh, on the back of like Narendra Modi's sort of popularity. He the Indian is, prime minister, yes. As the, Indi the Indian prime minister's popularity. And he is building, building absolutely critical infrastructure, including renewable energy. Like so, so when you put all of this together, the fact that Hindenburg has been able to come in and just demolish the shares. I mean, these shares are like that. Some of them are not even falling as fast as they can because they're hitting the limit down every day, right? So you know, Adani Total Gas, which is a joint venture with France's Total Energies, is like limit down every day for the last three or four trading sessions. So it can't fall any faster. And, and, you know, it's now down, it's lost half its market value. And it's kind of amazing. You know, it's just a really stunning, stunning reversal of fortune of somebody who was, until just a few weeks ago, seen as too big to fail. But what's very interesting about this, and I think what's probably telling from the market drop, is, you know, sometimes there's, like, no smoke without fire. Now, obviously, Hindenburg has alleged stock market manipulation and fraud. And these are allegations which Adani has like strongly denied and they've put out a 413 page rebuttal. And, you know, they've said many of these issues have been addressed before. And some of these issues are like things that we can't comment on because they relate to our public shareholders. But the point is, is that they have managed to like really, really knock this massive company off its perch. But there were concerns about this company before we got to this point. Yes. And, and I, I might just shift to Shwetama. Shwetama, what is the sense then in India about this whole situation? Because, you know, in, in you know, when you look at the kind of the financial press, they love a story like this. This is like, you know, this is, I guess, scandal. There's a short seller. I mean, I, was this very unexpected in India? And what is the sort of reaction to this this short selling attack? Yeah, I would think it was unexpected because uh, I can't think of another short seller attack on a major Indian company in recent memory, at least. There may never have been a short seller attack, but I don't know about that. But yes, this is very unusual. And uh, 
I don't think anybody saw it coming, at least from this quarter. Hmm. Having said that, there were all along some concerns with regard to the debt of this particular group. So what had happened, I'll give you a broader context here. What had happened in the last two or three years is that as India was emerging from that bad debt crisis, a lot of large companies, especially those engaged in infrastructure, manufacturing, that kind of thing, uh, they started to deleverage. Mm -hmm. they, they realized that it's probably easier to access debt and to access it on better terms mm -hmm. if you are low on debt already. Because most banks, particularly the ones owned by the government, had become extremely cagey about lending. So in that context, you have only a few groups left who are borrowing in a big way. And especially so after the pandemic. So in the last couple of years, banks really went big on credit and they tried to find pockets in the market which would be credit worthy and which they would be able to lend to. So while it's true that Adani hasn't borrowed a great deal in the domestic market in the last two years, it's also true that there are very few people left in the market to lend to, very few large institutions who are in a position to raise money from banks today. Many of them have been wiped out in the last credit cycle. So, so in that context, banks were quite willing to lend to Adani a few years ago when he came in. And then I think he was able to win their trust by getting some good assets and making sure that there were strong cash flows from those assets. And when the credit sites report came out last year, where they expressed concerns that, uh, you know, th this, this company is highly leveraged and it's the debt right now is about 24, $25 billion. Is that correct, Yuna? Well, it's about like, so, so it's kind of tripled over the last decade. It's about $30 billion. I mean, it depends on where the exchange rate is. But, you know, the aggregate, as you're saying, like aggregate net debt has actually fallen to about four times net debt to be So it's kind of high, but not like that high. And there's a huge debate out there, right? So like, you have like yeah. some some entities like Fitch's credit sites. They say that this thing is deeply overlevered and they've had a fight with Adani. But then you talk to other credit rating agencies or analysts who actually rate the bonds and credit sites doesn't rate the bonds, like you know who do rate the bonds. And they say, you know, this group has great covenants. It's like all the things are ring fenced. It's like quite conservative. You know, it's, it's a mixed picture, to be honest. But at the moment, right, it's not a great time to be overly indebted, right? Because interest rates are going up, the cost of your debt is going up. And I suppose having this sort of free fall in your shares doesn't help any of that, right? Yes. So, you know, the interestingly, the conversations I've had with people at banks and consultants, other institutions in the last few days, they all seem to echo this view that businesses have been using all kinds of routes to shore up their share prices or using offshore tax havens, et cetera, for all kinds of dodgy activities. But that doesn't mean they are not valid, they don't have assets, or that it's not fair to lend to them. In this particular case, it's blown up because of the short seller attack and because they've gone into, Hindenburg has gone into great detail to describe the modus operandi, alleged modus operandi of this company, which obviously the group has dismissed. 
Um, but at the same time, there is this sense among Indian banks that they will lay low for the next few months. And if fresh credit proposals come to them from the Adani group, they will probably hold off. But that shouldn't be taken to mean that this is a group which is a no-go area for them. It's, they think it's still fair game to lend to the group because as I said, they've got all these port assets, they've got airport assets, they've got a presence in power and transmission, energy distribution and so on. And those, those, con those continue to be sound assets and cash continues to flow in. Banks think they are secured enough to be able to recover their money from the Adani group. And uh, you know the, the problem that, that they do see problems cropping up, but that can only happen if a serious investigation into all these allegations happen. And as a result of that, if any of his assets start to get attached, they see that as a real risk. But right now the view is that this is a market event and it'll blow over. And is that that question about an actual investigation, is that on the cards at all? Is there any sense that that is sort of the next step that you sort of see kind of coming out? Una, I'll, I'll switch to you. Is that is that kind of what you're yeah. hearing? I mean, this is this is where, like, it's really important to go back in time a little bit. Right. So before the Hindenburg attack um, and even as early, I think, as 2021, there was um you know, how did we get to this stage and, and how did Hindenburg manage to have such a trigger, such a precipitous decline and prolonged decline in these company shares? And I think one reason is, is that there were always some concerns in the market about this group. I'll just give you a couple of examples. But Adani's companies have 5% of the MSCI India index. That's what their weighting is. But Actually, there are very, very few funds and big institutional funds of solid reputation investing in these companies. And one like really telling sign was that, you know, if you went onto the Reuters Refinitiv sort of platform and the data terminals and you looked for like the earnings estimates of these companies, for at least three of them, there was nothing there. As it's highly unusual for like very large companies to not have that kind of information. And that is a reflection of the fact that the research houses are not providing it, which is a reflection of the fact that the clients are not buying it, right? Yeah. So the fact was is that, you know, long before Hindenburg came along, one of the big worries about the Adani group was that, you know, the value of his tightly held companies had been puffed up by these opaque Mauritius-based funds. And there was even a disclosure in Parliament in 2021, which basically said that the securities regulator was investigating some Adani companies, but they didn't provide more details at the time. And, so and what since was Adani's then, response to, at the time? What was Adani's response to that? It hasn't really been like, I mean, at that time, there was a bit of a share. There was a like a small crash in the shares, but like, like nothing like of the scale we're seeing. It was a very domestic issue, a domestic story. And, you know, they, the group kind of brushed that off and everything carried on. And, and you know, we never really found out where that investigation went and what happened. So now that this is all coming out through the Hindenburg report and what Hindenburg has done is very, like, cleverly just stitched together everything that was out there, plus a bit more that they've sort of dug around it, in which they all allege is, is, is the case. And obviously uh, the Adani's deny, but they've sort of presented it all in a way which sort of feeds into this chatter in the market that was already out there which was this sort of feeling of 
No, it's really expensive, but also, you know, we don't want to buy it. I mean, you know, if, if you're an index, if you're a fund manager and you are like giving up these super normal stock market returns for three years, you know, you've got to have a really good reason for doing that because you have to go and justify that to your clients. And now they're all sitting around feeling really vindicated <laughs> because, you know, they're like, oh, look, told you so. This is sort of going to happen. Right. So. You know, regardless of who is right and wrong, the point is, is that there has been this question about Adani shareholding structure and how it's hold and where, like, who controls what uh, and these sort of offshore tax havens for a while. And now the securities, Hindenburg has sort of created a situation where the securities regulator can't ignore the sort of like dossier of information it's put out. And so we've got information, Reuters, in fact, has exclusively reported that the securities regulator is looking at least into the abnormal trading around the share sale uh, which has now been aborted um, because the share price of the shares fell 30% yesterday after the deal had closed. So it was kind of untenable. But, you know, so I think like it, there's a very interesting thing here because what Adani had managed to do was on the debt side, on the one hand, he was borrowing to do all these acquisitions and he was being bankrolled by all the global banks, every single one, you know, like everyone was funding him, his multi-billion dollar deals. And as Shatama says, quite rightly, incremental debt, most of his incremental lending over the last three or four years was coming from the global capital markets and global banks, not the Indian domestic banks. The Indian domestic banks have lent him a lot, but they certainly have a long way to go. They could lend him tons more money before maxing out their limits on how much they can lend to these kinds of companies. So, you know, you step back big picture and you think, right, now the securities regulator is probably going to have to look into this. There is a question now about Will the global banks lend to him? It looks like the global capital markets are shut. So he's going to have to come back to the Indian banks. A lot of people don't see an immediate default or financing thing for him. His bonds are being a bit hammered in the US. So some of them are trading at distress levels now. Um, and, 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 and like, so where, where does this leave us all? Like, OK, it leaves you with India's infrastructure tycoon, probably less able to raise funds as easily, probably having to go a bit slower on his growth going forward for the next um, you know, a few years. He was planning to spend $150 billion over the next five to 10 years on all these like big projects. And who knows where that's going to come from? Because when you have a devastating short attack, usually what happens is you are locked out of the market for a good, you know, few years afterwards until you have rehabilita rehabilitated your reputation. And then for India, there's a question of like, well, if if Adani isn't going to build all this infrastructure, who is? Because as, as Tom was saying, nobody has the appetite to do this stuff, right? So what does that mean for the speed of India's green transition? What does it mean for the airports that, you know, I've been traveling through Mumbai Airport. It's way better now that the Adani's own it. Like, full credit to them. It is a better place to travel through, right? And that is like real change. That is real improvements that India needs. Um, so this is a complicated story, and it kind of goes back to the reasons why, you know, we don't know what the regulator has and hasn't been doing behind the scenes. But there has been this feeling in India that, you know, Adani is too big to fail, too important. I think the challenge that they've had is they've got really, really big as an entity and really, really important before they have really sorted out their equity story. They haven't diversified their shareholding base. They haven't won over the institutional investors. And all of that adds up to this quite difficult situation that they are now in. Okay. I just want to, lastly, I suppose, I think we should touch on this as well. Um, Shwetama, Hindenburg, what are they sort of famous for? What are their other short attacks? Because 
sometimes we have these companies where a short seller comes along and we we don't know anything about the short seller and they sort of you know there's some hedge fund you know could be in the caribbean and you don't know how seriously to take it i mean how how seriously are people taking hindenburg and, and what are their other sort of successes i suppose well for a lot of people in india this would have been the first they ever heard of hindenburg so it it is surprising but um it's it's certainly become a pretty politically divisive issue so depending on which side of the line you are people are cheering on the report or heckling it so that that's how it is however a lot of people in business circles especially um are dissing the report they do they do they're not taking it very seriously and that's because again the idea is that so many indian companies have been using these modes of operation for so long why is it that this guy is being singled out the idea probably is is that uh, he he was going in for this share sale where he would have diversified the shareholding of his flagship company and it was timed in such a way that now the share sale has gone off the rails completely and it has had to be pulled so having said that it does create a very serious risk for adani and for anybody who has financed him because this means that he will certainly be faced with a liquidity squeeze in the near term so he has a few bonds coming up for repayment later this week i suppose although most indian banks are not likely to have uh, any repayments due in the next few months at the same time i would be a little wary about the debt position their actual exposure to the adani group and that's because although the disclosed numbers seem to suggest that indian banks exposure to the top 5 adani companies is less than 1% of total bank loans we do not have any clarity on how much the non fund based exposures would be so this would be cash credit overdraft limits bank guarantees that kind of thing and in in a serious credit event or in a liquidity squeeze kind of situation all that could become quite relevant okay. and some of those those instruments have a credit convertibility element which means they could eventually get converted into loans at some point and that would mean exposure going up at the same I time think, liquidity sorry you know. yeah i mean i'd like to actually jump in on the hindenburg point really though because i sort of think that you know we, yes it's true no one in india has really heard of hindenburg but this is a credit this is an institution that has a credible track record of taking down of, of recently like sort of revealing us frauds i think it kind of called out recently uh uh an ev company in the us and it's had some success with the spacs um uh the ev company i think the fcc was sort of like found sort of some evidence fraud so you know and i met with a hedge fund manager this morning who was basically telling me that you know as soon as they saw the name Nate Anson they were like yeah okay we respect this guy and they piled in and they started trading the bonds right so you know this is the you know he had Nate has a good reputation at least within the circles of the people who are going to like pile in and make trouble for Adani so that is kind of their problem now and i think that you know if they didn't if they didn't have legitimacy we wouldn't but there wasn't if there wasn't some respect for what hindenburg has done out there you couldn't just see this kind of market reaction 
Amazing. Very interesting. Um, Shatama, Una, thank you so much for that. Um, I feel like that I, I've learned so much listening to this. I'm sure our listeners will, will feel the same. And we will be watching very closely because you guys are writing lots on this and it's all fascinating. So um, yes, we'll keep we'll keep looking. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. <laughs>